I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, let's begin by going to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time now as we come to open up your word. Lord, we've sung praises to you, but now, Lord, we need to hear a word from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, let us see, give us ears to hear, Lord, and give us hearts willing to obey your word. Lord, as we open up this text today, as we look at the the passage that you've put over my heart to bring today, Lord, I pray that you would teach us the nature of true prosperity in a world that constantly seeks prosperity. Lord, teach us what real prosperity looks like so that our aim and our goal in this life would be to prosper in those things that you desire for us to prosper in. So, Lord, teach us today, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This morning we're looking at verses 6 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there, and it's page 910 in the Pew Bible. Page 910 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, then... Take that pew Bible with you. That's our gift to you today. We want everybody to have a, have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and certainly bless your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, looking at verses 6 through 15. Now, many, especially here in America, many people are in hot pursuit of prosperity. John MacArthur comments, to the three American unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness proclaimed in the Declaration of Independence, our society would add a fourth, the right to the pursuit of prosperity, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and prosperity, right? And we see that throughout our culture. And by prosperity, most people have in mind material prosperity it's accumulating more and more things possessions in this world and people will do just about anything to gain worldly riches to increase their worldly prosperity and so we see a lot of people stealing coming up with all kinds of schemes to get rich In fact, there's no shortage of books out there on how to get rich quick. You go to the library or you go to the bookstore or you look up on Amazon, whatever, and you see all the books out there and there's just no end to get rich quick type of books and schemes. And a lot of people fall prey to those charlatans out there who come at you with all kinds of get-rich-quick schemes. People embezzle millions of dollars from other people, promising them that they're going to get rich quick, when all along they're just getting their, filling their own bank account up. And so that's throughout our culture, people want to have prosperity. They want to gain worldly riches. Even today, there are many false churches out there that have taken advantage of people's drive for material prosperity, preaching a false gospel, a health and wellness type of gospel, a health and wealth gospel. They take texts like the one that we're going to talk about today. One of the texts here is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And, and they take that very text and they say, oh, if you will sow bountifully towards me, right? If you give me lots of money, then God will bless you and you'll become rich. And so 
God's Word actually becomes a way for us to invest our money, right? You, if we give more to the church, if we give more to this ministry or that ministry, then God will certainly increase our checkbook. And so it actually becomes a way for us to invest our money. It becomes a way for us to get rich quick. But as we're going to see here, that's not God's intent in this text or any other text of Scripture. God's definition of prosperity is not the world's definition of prosperity. And if we're going to actually pursue true prosperity, then we're going to have to turn away from that worldly prosperity and pursue God's def define or definition of prosperity in our lives. And so that's what we're going to consider today in our text in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. Paul talks about true prosperity. And true prosperity, as we're going to see, abounds in God's grace. True prosperity abounds in God's grace. That's what this whole text is about. True prosperity abounds in God's grace. It is abounding in God's grace. That's what true prosperity is. And here we're going to see five traits of true prosperity in our text today. Now, just kind of a reminder, last week we were in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and last week we, we noticed that uh, he was talking to, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, so that they will continue to take up this collection for the, the Christians in Jerusalem who are suffering famine and our persecution. They're going through a financially hard time, and so there are a lot of different churches throughout the Roman Empire that have been planted, and, and they're taking up money to send to Jerusalem to help the Christians out there who are going through a, a time of suffering, of, of financial struggles. So last week, we considered the Macedonian model for gracious giving, and we saw that gracious giving is grounded in God's grace. It is generous, it is sacrificial, it is voluntary, it's a privilege, it's a privilege to give to God's work in the world, and it is, and gracious giving is worship. It's an act of worship. And so we have that as the background. As Paul continues on, he gives a little, he tells them about Titus and, and gives his commendation of Titus, and then he, he comes back again to this giving this collection and he's encouraging them in verses one through five of chapter nine he, he turns back to that and he says make sure you take up this collection now get it ready now because i'm coming and i'm going to bring some folks with me and i don't want y'all to be embarrassed and i don't want us to be embarrassed because we've been bragging on you and, and so y'all make sure y'all have it all collected and ready for when we come to pick up this collection to take it to the, the Christians in Jerusalem. And so he picks up in, in verse 6, and he starts with this, the point is this. And so now he's getting to what he really wants to say. And so we're going to pick up right there in verse 6. So if you found your place there in God's Word, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Word as we read our whole text before we get into breaking it down into all of its parts. Hear the word of the Lord. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the need of the saints, but 
is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, as we begin to look at this, this paragraph, this text today, we see here the true nature, the marks of true prosperity. And first of all, we see that true prosperity is abounding in God's love. True prosperity is abounding in God's love. It, it's not like the world sees prosperity. But true prosperity is not abounding in worldly riches. It's not abounding in material possessions. True prosperity is abounding in God's love. And we see this in that, those first couple of verses there, verses 6 through 7. He starts there with this little proverb, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's just a little proverb. We see proverbs like this in the Old Testament. Proverbs, you can write these down. I'm not going to read them. But Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. Proverbs 22, verse 9. All of these kind of say this same thing. They say it in a different way, but they say this same thing. You, you reap what you sow. If you reap sparingly, you sow sparingly. Or if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, right, you Sit out lots of, uh, lots of seed, you spread lots of seed, then guess what? You're going to reap bountifully. You're going to get a, a lot of bang for your buck, if you will. And so that kind of proverb is going to drive everything else that he says here in this paragraph. But then he goes on, he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so here we see this per first principle of true prosperity. True prosperity is abounding in God's love. He shows us here the, the nature of generous giving. The nature of generous giving, first and foremost, is voluntary. It's not under compulsion. But each person must decide what, in his own heart or her own heart, what to give. And, and, and so Paul is not trying to, to bully them into giving He's not trying to shame them into giving. He's saying to them, now you need to pray about this. Each one of you need to decide in your own heart what you're going to give. And give it. And give it. Give it cheerfully. It's not something that, that you're being made to do, but this is a voluntary act. And, and so it is giving unto the work of the Lord. It's a voluntary act. Now, for me... A good place to start uh, for me is uh, tithing, giving 10% of my gross income. And so when people ask me, well, where do I start giving? That's, what, that's my suggestion. That seems to be the su suggestion of Scripture. Scripture seems to indicate that's a good place for us to start. Now, we, we typically don't stop there. As God blesses us, as we begin to grow in our relationship with the Lord. It, it tends to increase. It doesn't stop with 10%, but that's a good place to start. Start with 10%, a tithe. Give a tithe unto the Lord. Give a tithe unto the, the ministry of the church. And so we recommend that to all of our members and those who, who come to fellowship in our church. We, we recommend, hey, start with a tithe. Start with a tithe. Just start there. Trust in the Lord. Start with the tithe and, and then see what the Lord does in your life from there. Go from there. But that has to be your decision. I'm not going to tell you that's what you have to do. I'm just recommending it. Scripture says you got to decide in your own heart. you got to decide in your own heart what you're going to give. It, it has to be a, a voluntary gift. It's a voluntary thing and it has to be something that you enjoy doing. So it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a voluntary gift. It's giving from the heart. We also could say that it's 
should be planned and systematic. It doesn't say that here in this text, but I'll just bring this in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul, again, talking to the Corinthian church, he recommends planned and systematic giving. He says there, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And so he's, again, talking about this collection. And he says, here's how you do it. On the first day of every month, when you meet together, or first day of every week, excuse me, uh, when you meet together for worship, like we do here on Sundays, take up an offering. Bring your offering. Now, on that day, they typically got paid daily. Now, some of us, we get paid at different times. Some people get paid weekly. Some people get paid biweekly. Some people get paid once a month, whatever that might be. And so it kind of changes. Then they got paid on a daily basis, typically. And so they would collect throughout the week. And at the end of the week, they, when they came together for worship, they, they brought the collection. And they came together, and they brought it, and they collected it, and they held it for Paul to come and take it to Jerusalem. And so he says, he recommends planned and systematic giving and so that's why every week we take up an offering as an act of worship unto the lord we we take up an offering we pass the plate if you don't want to put it in the plate you can put it in a box right but but bring it whenever you want to now it doesn't have to necessarily be weekly for mary beth and i when we get paid we write that check as soon as we get paid and that that check gets deposited in the bank we write a check to the church and and so that next sunday we bring it here and so however you want to do it that's fine but give make your giving planned and systematic but notice here also that our giving is to be cheerful it must be cheerful giving the word here the the greek word is hilaros from which we get our word the english word hilarious it's to be hilarious giving. Not like insane giving, but you kind of get the idea. Like, like giving should be a joy. It shouldn't be a burden. If it's a burden, probably, you, you should, probably shouldn't give. Uh, like it, it, if you're to the point where, uh, uh, the preacher's looking, I've got to put something in the plate, right? Uh, don't give. Uh, giving must be a joyful thing. It must be a joyful thing. It must be a, something that we delight in. We enjoy doing it because we, we want to be involved in what the Lord's involved in. We want to be doing what he, He's calling us to do. And so it must be a cheerful thing, uh, something that we are glad to do week after week, month after month, year after year. It must be a cheerful gift. So it's voluntary, it's planned, it's systematic, and it's also cheerful. It's from the heart. It's a delight. We love giving back a portion of what the Lord has given us already for the work of His ministry. And then notice what it says here. That God, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, does that mean He doesn't love those who don't give? Well, no. We know that God, in a general sense, loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And, and God loves the world in a, in a general sense. But it, Paul says he delights in a cheerful giver. He delights in, he loves a cheerful giver. What is he talking about there? Does he not love those who don't give so cheerfully? What's going on here? What's, Paul, what's the point Paul's making here? I think it's more about how we experience God's love, isn't it? Because God loves all of his children. He loves all of his children. And, and even when you're being disciplined by the Lord, when, when you allow sin to come in your life, and when you uh, allow habits of sin to develop in your life, God says he disciplines those whom he loves. And so if you're under the discipline of the Lord, that doesn't mean the Lord doesn't love you. He still loves you, but, but now that relationship's different. Now that experience of God's love is much different. A child who's being disciplined by his parents, well, he's experienced his parents' his love, their love, right? But 
it's a different experience. But God delights in, He loves, He rejoices in a cheerful giver, someone who actually is reflecting the very image of God because God is a cheerful giver. God is a cheerful giver. God delights in giving, especially His children, His wonderful blessings. He delights in giving to us. He delights in blessing us in our lives. God himself is a cheerful giver. And so when we give cheerfully, we're reflecting his image. And God takes great delight in that. God loves a cheerful giver. So we experience God's love in a different way when we give cheerfully. All because we're reflecting God's very image. In our world, in our church, God loves a cheerful giver. God especially loves those who reflect his own image and his own heart. God loves a cheerful giver. True prosperity is abounding in God's love. Second, true prosperity is abounding in God's love. Second, true prosperity is uh, abounding in God's eternal generosity. True prosperity is abounding in God's own generosity. We see this in verses 8 through 10. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. True prosperity is abounding in God's own eternal generosity. God is a giver, He is a giver. And Paul focuses in on God's giving at this point. Notice, first of all, that, that God gives material contentment. God gives us contentment. He gives his, his children contentment in the world. We see this in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. His, his gift, his giving, he makes his grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency. Now that word there, sufficiency, which the English translation, tip, I looked in most all of them translate sufficiency. But that word there, sufficiency, in other places is translated contentment. It is translated to be content. For God having all, uh, for God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all contentment in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Give, God gives us contentment. In our own natural flesh, we're not content. We're never content. We want more, we want more, we want more, we want more. Right? We, we want to add to all the toys. We want to add to our collection. You, you, you remember being a kid or, or you see, watch kids playing? That's my baby doll. That's my horsey. No, you can't have it. They don't want to share because it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. In our natural condition, that's the way we are. It's mine. I want it. And we want to pile up our toys. We want to have it all for ourselves. But God, in His grace, He gives us contentment. He gives us contentment. So we don't have to have everything. Well, no, we, we find pleasure in other things. We find pleasure in God instead of the things of this world. And so God is able to give us contentment. And then having our own contentment, oh, well, then we are able to give even more freely. God gives contentment in our own possessions. Paul learned contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul talking to the Philippians there as they gave him a gift. They sent money to help him in his ministry. He says, I'm not speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. Paul learned contentment. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, Paul talks again about contentment. There he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It's great gain. For we, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food for clothing, or if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So we see that contentment is a wonderful gift of God. Our natural desire is to, to, to not be content, but to want, 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 to, to fall into greed. And he said greed leads to all kinds of pangs. It lays all kinds of pain and agony in life. It leads to stress. It leads to depression when you can't get what you want. But, but contentment with godliness, oh, that is great gain. And godly, God freely gives contentment to his children. Oh, God is a gracious God who can give us contentment. Contrast contentment, godly, god, godliness with contentment, with worldly greed. And then you get people like uh, John D. Rockefeller, which I quoted last week when someone asked John D. Rockefeller, the richest man in the world, how much money is enough, John? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I got all the money I could ever spend in my life. I got all the money that my great, 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 great grandkids can't spend it all, but just a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. Oh, how to, what would life like that? Oh, the agony, the pain of, of such a life as that. And oh, the wonderful grace of God. To give his children contentment. Paul says, I know, I know what it's like to have plenty and abundance. And I know what it is to be in need. In all things, I am content. God gave Paul contentment. And it was of great gain to him. God gives material contentment, but not only that, God gives provisions for spiritual enrichment and eternal reward. As you continue on there in verse 9, as it is written, He, that is God, has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. It's eternal. He who supplies Seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed, dear Christian. He will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, as we're faithful to give, that's what Paul said in, in the beginning, right? Those who sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Those who sow bountifully, reap bountifully. And what he's saying is, as, as you are faithful in giving unto the Lord, the Lord is faithful to provide for your needs. He's faithful to, to give you an abundance so that you can invest more. It's not so that we can collect more. This isn't the get-rich scheme that the health and wealth people preach, right? You give $100 and God will give you $200 in return. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But the point is not that, that you have more, 200 more dollars in your, your bank account. The point is that when God get, does give you 200 more dollars, that gives you more to give. That gives you more to give. You see, God's not concerned with uh, us building up a big bank account here in, in this world. We're moth and rust destroy and thief break in and steal. God is more concerned with our et eternal investment. So as we invest in the Lord, as we invest and as we give 
generously, God says, hey, I will provide you even an abundance of ways, more ways that you can invest in eternity. Whether that be material possessions, whether that be natural talents, whether whatever the case, as we're faithful to give unto the Lord, the Lord just pours out His blessings upon us and not so that we can hoard it all for ourselves, but that we can be even gracious, more gracious givers. See, He wants us to be like Him. God's giving is never-ending. And He wants us to make, make us like Him. So that we're just generous. We're kind. And we pour out all the blessings that God pours out on us. We just overflow those blessings out into the world and out to other people. Those who may be in need. True prosperity. True prosperity is abounding in God's eternal generosity. It's seeing God's grace and His blessings poured out on us so that we can pour them out on others. I share this not as a brag, but I just share this as a testimony, a personal testimony. So please, please, please don't ever think that I'm bragging about this because it's not a brag. In fact, everything I'm about to say, it's all because of the Lord. He, he worked in us. When Mary Beth and I first got married, we didn't tithe. When we, 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 we typically went to church, we weren't always so faithful in that when we first got married, but, but, uh, and there's reasons for that, but, but we did go to church occasionally, usually a couple of de- times a, a month anyway, right? But we didn't tithe. Now, we gave. You know, I would open up my wallet. Oh, well, I got two tens and a five. Well, the five it is, right? And so whatever I had in my wallet, uh, I gave a portion of that, and I tried to save some for maybe having lunch that day. Uh, But that's how we gave. It wasn't systematically. it, It wasn't intentionally. We just... I knew I was supposed to give, so whatever was in my wallet, that's what we gave. But the Lord started to impress on our hearts. He started convicting Mary Beth and I both at the same time. So we were always on, on board with one another on this. We were always in agreement with this. He just impressed upon us that that wasn't right. He began to impress it on, on us that we needed to start with the tithe. And we needed to start tithing to our church. Now, I understand, at that point in time, I made about a $300 a week. Mary Beth had a part-time job, so she wasn't bringing much. She was going to school, and that was her, her main job. So we didn't have a lot. So tithing was a big deal. We knew that uh, we were going to have to miss out on some meals or at least... Uh, go to eating some beans and rice a few nights a week and, and maybe spend a couple of extra nights going to the parents' house to eat supper or whatever. And, and so we, it, it was tough. But we decided we needed to tithe. So whenever a paycheck came in, we wrote that check out. 10% off the top, that goes to the Lord, and we began to tithe. You, we get wealthy. No, we didn't get wealthy. But God blessed. We never went hungry. We never missed a payment. We never failed to pay the electric bill. Some, some months we'd be like, I don't know how we're going to do it, but Lord, here it is. We, we wrote it out. And some months, yeah, we did have to go to mom and daddy's and eat supper a few more times that week. But the Lord blessed us. He was faithful. We gave and he gave back. And in our lives, he's continued to bless us. He's continued to bless us. And now the tithe, that's, that's, that's where, that's, again, that's our starting point. We, we do that tithe every week, every time we get paid. That tithe check gets written, but, but we've gone beyond the tithe 
And we, we set an amount that we give to the love offering for Jesus. We set an amount that we, we give to Caitlin and Owen and we support them. And, and we, we've gone beyond that because God has gone beyond that. He, he has blessed us. He's been gracious to us and supplied us with more than we need. I challenge you. Maybe you're like we were when we first got married and like, we just can't do that. That's just, oh, we just got all these bills and how, how are we going to pay our rent? Trust the Lord. Be faithful unto the Lord. And the Lord will be faithful unto you. He is a generous giver. You can't outgive God. You can never outgive God. True prosperity is abounding and God's generosity. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. True prosperity is abounding in God's love. It's abounding in God's eternal generosity. And third, true prosperity is abounding in God's glory. True prosperity is abounding in God's glory. Look at verses 11 and 12. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Do you see what Paul's saying here? Generous giving, generous and gracious giving uh, in the Lord overflows into abundance of thanksgiving unto God. You see, giving is not about you getting praise or me getting praise. Our giving is all about God getting the praise. It's all about God receiving the glory. Paul gives a good example of this as he receives a gift from the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, right? It's an act of worship. It's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So you can't outgive God. And then he says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He doesn't say, To you Philippians be glory forever and ever. No, it, that wasn't the point. That's not why the Philippians were given in the first place. He says to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. You see, when we give graciously, we, we realize that everything that we have, it, it's God's anyway. God, God just gives it to us to, be, to steward it, to manage it for Him. But it all belongs to Him. And He blesses us so that we can pour out to others. And so we give not to receive praise. You see, that's what the way the world gives, isn't it? The world gives so that they can be applauded at banquets. They give so they can get their, their name on a building. They give for all of these other reasons. They give to, to receive praise because they want to be applauded by people. But you see, as Christians, we don't do that. We don't do that. We give not to receive praise, but to give praise unto the Lord. So that people would, would praise the Lord and, and glorify God. Because ultimately, it's God's gift being channeled through us. So we give God all the praise, glory, and honor. In everything you do, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and 31, Everything that you do, whether it's eating or drinking or whatever, or giving, whatever, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We're to do everything 
for God's glory. If you give to make a name for yourself, you should just keep your money in your bank account. Give for the glory of the Lord. Give to bring glory to God. True prosperity is not abounding in your selfish glory. It's abounding in the glory of God. True prosperity is abounding in God's love, God's eternal generosity, God's glory. Fourth, true prosperity is abounding in the fellowship of God's people. True prosperity is as abounding in the fellowship of God's people. Look at verses 13 through 14. By their approval, right, by the, the Jews in, in Jerusalem, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. See, this is the way it works. This is kind of a, the principle of uh, reciprocity. I can't ever pronounce that word right. Reciprocity, the principle of reciprocity, in, in some ways, in other words, it's that give and take thing, right? So it's that principle. It's that principle at play here. You give a material blessing to someone who is in need, and they pray for you. As we give to the church, as we give to missionaries around the world, we give to supply for a need, we give to take care of a need, and what do they do? They pray for us. They begin to pray for us. You see, it's a, a spiritual thing. It, we, we meet a, a, a material need, and, and they meet a spiritual need because we need all the prayers we can get. I have conversations with people like Christy in Romania, my missionary buddy there. You know, we, we give to him, and, and, and I talk to him, and I pray for him, and he prays for me, and he prays for this church and the ministry here. I have communication with Owen, Owen from time to time. And, and the same thing, I pray for him, I support for him materially, and I support him spiritually, and, and I pray for him, and he prays for me, and he prays for the ministry of this church. It builds that fellowship. It builds that fellowship. And, and this is what it's about, right, isn't it? it? It's about enriching these relationships. It's about re enriching the relationships of, of the saints who come together in the name of the Lord. And we do that here. As we invest in one another, not, not necessarily always financially, but as we invest in one another, we love one another. We bear one another's burdens. You pray for me, I pray for you. You support me in, in times of need, I support you in times of need. And, and it all comes together. It's growing in that fellowship. It's expanding that fellowship. It's enriching that fellowship of God's people. True prosperity is not collecting material things. It's collecting a group of folks around you who love you and pray for you and care for you and invest in you not just financially but in other ways with their time with their prayers with their efforts true prosperity is abounding in the fellowship of god's people I've talked to this with this about a lot of a lot of you. You know, if I'm out for a week, like COVID, I, I hated COVID just because it kept me from y'all, right? But because I love this, I, I love being with God's people. I love being surrounded by by you, all of you. I'm I'm I'm, I'm I love that. That's a big part of my life. And if I'm out for a week, even when we go on vacation, yeah, it's nice to have a break, but, but I'm ready to come back to church because I want to be with God's people. Because I love investing in you, and I love how you invest in me. This is prosperity. 
You can take everything else I have, but I want this. I want the fellowship of the saints. I want Christians in my life who invest in me and I invest in them. True prosperity is abounding in the fellowship of God's people. Number five, true prosperity is abounding in God's love. True prosperity is, is God's abounding in God's eternal generosity, God's glory, the fellowship of God's people. And number five, and this is really a summary of everything that we've talked about, true prosperity is abounding in God's grace. It is abounding in God's grace. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, which points back to his surpassing grace in the previous verse, right? He says, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift, for His inexpressible, surpassing grace. Praise be to God for His grace. True prosperity is not abounding in worldly riches. True prosperity is abounding in God's grace, experiencing God's grace at every point and every turn of life, having His grace poured out on us day after day after day after day, experiencing God's grace. All of this is bound up and grounded in, in God's grace. Think about this. As Ephesians chapter 2 says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Walking according to this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the, the, son, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's who we were. We were all by nature children of wrath. That's where we were. But then we experienced God's grace. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. In Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works with God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's past, present, and future grace. That's what it's all about. Experiencing God's grace in the past when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we become new creation in Him. God declares us righteous in Jesus. We experience that saving grace. And then God begins to work in our life. He begins to mold us and make us into the image of Christ. He prepares good works so that we can walk in them in this life, so that we can share His abundance of grace out of our life uh, and pour them out on other people. It's all about His grace right here, right now in our Christian walk, but we're also looking to His future grace to come. The riches that He has saved up for us in glory, in heaven, in eternity. We're all looking forward to that. It's not about building mansions and, and it's not about building riches here. All of that's going to fail. It's all about God's grace. What God has done, is doing, and will do because of what He has done in Jesus Christ. True prosperity is abounding in all of God's grace. Do you know God's grace? Are you abounding in God's grace? If you've experienced God's saving grace in your life, praise God. Praise God. Pour out the richness of God's grace upon others. Be a generous giver. Of all that God has given you, he, he doesn't want you to just store it up and hoard it away. He wants you to pour out that grace on other people. 
Let it overflow out of you onto other people. Invest in the church. Invest in the ministry that God is doing around the world. And seek the true prosperity of knowing God's love, His own generosity, all of His giving in your life, the the fellowship of the saints. Seek true prosperity in every day of your life. And let me tell you, if you've never experienced God's grace in your life, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, today, don't do anything else. Don't think by putting a, a, a few dollars in the, the plate that's going to bring enrichment. Don't think by, by giving to the, the offering plate that that's going to bring prosperity in your life. Keep all of it. Until you first turn to Jesus Christ. You see, we've got to receive God's grace before we can ever give to others. Seek true prosperity by looking to Jesus. Seeking Jesus Christ. Start there. Trust in Christ. And let the outpouring of God's grace in your life fill you up And then when it begins to overflow, it will overflow naturally to others. But start by trusting in Jesus, even today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the abundance that you give us in this life. The abundance of grace that you have for us in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, let us not fall into temptation and seek the prosperity of this world. Lord, let us abandon all of those worldly desires and let us seek true prosperity, prosperity as you define it. Oh, Lord, fill us up and let us overflow your grace. And Lord, if there's any today who've never trusted in Jesus, They don't know the the prosperity of experiencing your saving grace in Christ. Lord, today, let them turn to Jesus. Bring them out of the darkness into your glorious light, O Lord, so that they might know Jesus and the joy of your salvation in him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.